This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome back Susie Allison of Busy Toddler to the show. Susie holds a master's in education, is a mom of three, and is a former kindergarten teacher. She is the founder of a page called Busy Toddler that has garnered over 2 million followers between Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. She is known for her easy kids activities, parenting support, and education tips. And when I was thinking about and brainstorming an episode on creativity, imagination, and play, Susie was the absolute first person that came to mind. Susie joined us a few weeks back to talk about kindergarten readiness in preparation for school. And today, she's come back to join us to talk all things creativity, imagination, and independent play. In this episode, we cover why creativity and imaginative play is so important for children, how we can get children to play more independently. We also get into an unexpected conversation around the guilt that comes up when we say no to playing with our child or when playing isn't our favorite activity as a parent. And then we wrap up talking about the tools of play and open-ended toys. If this is your introduction into Busy Toddler, then I am so happy that I set you all up because her platform rescued me many days on Matt Leaves with Three Young Children. I can't wait for you to hear all of her practical tools and tips. Let's hear my conversation with Susie of Busy Toddler. Do you ever feel like you just want to hide in a dark, quiet closet? You are not alone. As a mom of three boys, I know what it's like to feel overstimulated, touched out, and easily triggered. As moms, we often don't get the chance to turn down the noise, walk away, or find a moment to regroup and recharge our batteries. But we don't have to live in constant overload. We can learn the skills to manage our own response to the noise, mess, and touch. We can stay calm and grounded so that we can be more present and connected without feeling like we're always in fight or flight mode. Dr. Reem, Psych Mommy, and I created a workshop to help you learn those skills, a workshop called Managing Overstimulation in Motherhood. You'll learn why you get so overstimulated, how to recognize your triggers, and the simple changes you can make in your environment that can help. We'll also teach you practical tips to keep calm and walk through your own personalized overstimulation plan so you can manage your reactions in and out of the moment. With lifetime access to the recording, you can watch at your own pace and revisit the workshop whenever you need. It's time to take charge of your senses instead of letting them take charge of you. Visit happyasamother.co slash overstimulation to register today for instant access. That's happyasamother.co slash overstimulation. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. 
However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Susie, thank you so much for joining us again. I am so excited to have you here to talk about what's really like, I feel like your wheelhouse, play, creative play, imaginary play. I'm excited. Thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I just finished my master's and I spent two years, you know, aside from all the years that I've spent researching play before that, but I really spent two years like, you know, in library and like catalogs and stuff like that, looking up and researching play. It all led to this moment. I'm ready. This moment. I'm I'm well-researched. I'm ready. Just for me. This is it. Just for you. I did it all for you. I'm ready. I am so excited. And I'm like, do I, do I love you or do I hate you? Like I have this bone to pick. I, as I mentioned in our previous episode, like I've been a follower, I've been around the block. I've been here for gosh, my oldest is seven, probably a good five years at least. And like, I didn't know about sensory bins (laughs) and rice bins and with three children home on mat leave thought this was like a really good idea to try. And now we have very particular rules about when Mm. like rice bins Mm -hmm. come out. But, you know, thank you, I guess, for that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is like a backhanded, (laughs) like a little bit of an airing. Is that why I'm here? Is this an airing of grievances? This was all a ruse. This is a ruse to get me on here just to publicly. No, publicly it's discuss so this. funny. No. And uh, you and I were, were kidding before this. It's like messy play or like this sensory play. Yeah. I feel like has, I work with a lot of moms who have like anxiety or have a lack of a tolerance for mm-hmm. like mess or messiness. So I can imagine that this can go hand in hand sometimes, yeah. this like ability to tolerate sensory, like messy play. Is that something that you hear from your audience much? Oh, absolutely. I think we curate our lives and we have so much control over what you know we do and what we don't do. And then when you have some lady on the internet saying, hey, here's like a bunch of mess and you should give it to that thing you have in your house that likes to make messes. I think that's very anxiety written for most people. I think the nor- more normal reaction is to be like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like I work all day to clean this house or to make sure they're not messy or, you know, I'm bathing them constantly. And now you just want me to like, be like, oh yeah, no, just like get extra messy and make like an extra layer to all of that. And so, yeah, no, I think it's, it's definitely a more appropriate knee jerk reaction when people see the things that I'm telling you are fine to do with your kids. It's just recoil and horror and say, you've got to be kidding me. But what I always want to do is give people the tools to be able to do that and to have it be successful. I always say, we're not making a mess for the sake of making a mess. And we can look past the mess and see the learning. This isn't just mess, again, because we want to let them make a mess. This isn't just letting them tear through something. This is a very specific mess. And we're going to have a very specific exit strategy Mm -hmm. to get ourselves out of this mess without ruining your white carpet or your beautiful couch. Mm -hmm. And I think that building a tolerance for this type of play and learning to be able to like leave it and step back, have some boundaries on it, leave it and step back is what helped me to build some quiet time and some independent playtime for my kids, which I know we're going to get into today. So like there is a real true appreciation. It just, I had to do some deep work in myself (laughs) to build the tolerance to handle sensory play. And I know many people feel that way, but yeah, 
I would love for us to like first unpack why is creativity, imagination, like open-ended or unstructured play so important for our kids? So for child development, this is really the way that children learn. And this is since the dawn of time, since we were hunters and gatherers, we were a play-based society. We help children learn skills in the world and how to grow and navigate through play. And what we want to see is we want to see kids playing then as much as possible because that is their highest form of learning. So when a child is doing what we call independent unstructured play, and so that's play independent of an adult without structure, meaning not a free-for-all, but without a predetermined expectation from it Mm. and completely at their own free will. That's the kind of play that we want for our children. And that's the kind of play where they're going to have the most brain development, body development, motor skills, all those big juicy skills that we're trying to teach them. They can't learn that from sitting behind a desk. They're not going to learn it in a workbook. They're not going to learn it from flashcards. They need to learn it through play. And the best kind of play that they're going to do is that unstructured, independent, free play. Mm-hmm. And this has been how human children have learned, again, since the dawn of time. And so when we see this shift, especially in the last 15, 20 years, away from play and into more structured adult-led activities like clubs, classes, you know, sports, things like that, though those are fun and playful they're not the same for a child's development as their unstructured free play time. Mm. So what we need to do as a parenting generation right now is to kind of go back and rewind the clock on play. And what we've been seeing the trends lately is that parents kind of have their hands in all the pots of their children, which of course we're great parents. We want to be able to help and support and do as much as possible, but when we put our hands in every pot and that pot, including the child's free play, we accidentally change what the child's learning and they're not going to learn nearly as much or develop nearly as many skills as they would if that same time was allotted for unstructured free play. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a mouthful and I hope it all made sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And like all jokes aside, I'm a very like A-type personality. So sitting in imaginative or unstructured play or sensory play or anything that doesn't really have any like rules and like systems to it makes my skin want to crawl. And I hear this from parents like, oh, like, is it bad that I don't like playing in this way with my kid? And so when I do enter the scene or they do want to play with me, I tend to be like, do you want to play a board game? Do you want to do something that has a structure to it? That's just kind of where my brain goes. But in learning the importance of this, I've had to really intentionally back out of some of their Mm -hmm. creative things that they've got set up because I'll want to go in and put some (laughs) structure or rules to it, right? right? And it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. I think, like I said earlier, it's just, we like to have our hands in all these pots. We want to make sure that our kids are growing and developing the best way possible. And for us, that means then we're going to be a part of it because I'm an adult and I know how to do these things. And I want to kind of impart this wisdom on you. And I want to make sure that everything is going well. And I want to make sure everything is progressing the way it should. But it's caused our kids then to lose this time where they can play on their own and of their own free will. And I think another piece to that puzzle is this idea that the only way that we can connect with children and build a relationship with children is if we're sitting and playing with them all the time. And that's really so far from the truth. We build our relationships with our kids, like you said, over books and puzzles and games and kind of these more structured settings. 
And if we can take away that guilt that we have of seeing your child playing without you, and instead of saying they're playing without me, am I ignoring them? Am I doing enough with them? Should I be doing more in this situation? And then we kind of wrap it all into this very guilt filled, like, I don't have my hand in this pot then right now. So I must be doing something wrong or something not enough for them. I'm not being all that I can be for them. No, what you're actually doing is giving them the highest form of learning possible by stepping back. And you really do have your hand in the pot because you've made that conscious decision to say, this is what is best for you. And what's best for you is me not playing with you. And I'm going to back away. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you never play with your kids. Of course, there are plenty of times where my kids will invite me to play something and I'll play truly for a couple of minutes. I am not good at playing. I do not play ponies well. I can kind of build Legos, but really I'm just, I'm fumbling around. I'm not going to make a great block castle. I'll play for a couple of minutes and then I'll back myself out of the situation because I want them to be as much as possible in charge of their play with me kind of away from that. So if we can shift away from thinking that I am beholden to my child and having to play with them all day, that this is a job in parenting, it's not. That is Mm. an absolute fallacy. It is not our job to play with our kids. Mm. It is our job to give our kids the opportunity to play on their own. That can be on their own alone. It can be on their own with peers. It could be with siblings, but it's giving our children the chance to play. That is our job as parents is to make sure that they are playing and that they're playing without us. We can still supervise. We can still be there if something breaks or they need a hand. But for the most part, we're backing our way out and letting them have autonomy and independence in this unbelievably important area of their life. Hmm. Shift your focus to doing things with your child that are connection and relationship building, like board games, puzzles, books, walks, cooking together, having a meal, sitting down and just chit-chatting on the couch, you know, kind of cozying up. Make those the ways that you connect and build that relationship with your child and let play be something completely independent and something that they're doing completely on their own, that this is their thing. And by watching them do that thing, you are truly doing one of the best jobs in parenting that you can do. It's such a powerful reframe because I hear from moms like, I don't want to say no. Like every bid for play or like Mm -hmm. ask has to be taken as a parent is sort of like this belief or the mentality, right? Where like, let me tell you, you probably don't want me playing Paw Patrol with you. Like I'm like, (laughs) I'm not good. I'm not very good at this. Like I don't really know the situation. Like I can catch you at a, you know, later date and we can do something more structured. But it changes the dynamic if I get down in there, right? Yeah, it absolutely changes the dynamic. One part that we talk about that defines play is whether or not a child has free will within that play. And the ability, this is from a psychologist, Peter Gray, and he talks about whether or not the child has the ability to enter the play and exit the play at their own decision, Mm. at their own decision. But when an adult is there playing, the child may not feel they have that decision anymore. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They kind of do as you want to do. And even when our best intentions are to not change the play and we're even thinking consciously, I don't want to change this, I don't want to change this, merely our presence there is changing it because the child at that moment stops feeling like they have the ability to start and stop the game at any point because they're Mm. beholden to you and they're under you know, your tutelage or they're, you know, within your relationship building time. And so they don't want to hurt your feelings and they may stay doing something for longer than they were going to do it if they were just doing it on their own. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that's really important to talk about is that 
if we RSVP yes for every time our child wants to play during the day, that eats up all of our time. And so if we consider that, you know, the philosopher Jean Piaget is famous for saying play is the work of childhood. I would like to be famous for saying, but not the work of adulthood. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. Because what we feel like right now is that play is our job. And we've added play onto this mountain of other tasks that we have as parents. And we've put it at the top of the pile and said that everything else can wait because I have to play with my child because they need to be playing and they won't play without me. So then I have to sit and play with them. And then that means that nothing else is getting done during the day. You know, the cleaning, the washing, the cooking, the email answering, the phone calls, the work, any of those other tasks then are pushed off into times when maybe the child is asleep or otherwise occupied. And the parent then ends up with this burden on their shoulder because Mm. all of their work time has been donated to the child's work time. When really these are two very separate times in the day, these should be very separate things. The child should be working at play and you should be able to work at your tasks. And that's what we're going for here. We want both the parent and the child to be able to do their tasks with both of them getting exactly what they need. The child getting that development and the parent avoiding burnout Mm. and being able Mm -hmm. to get the jobs done that they need to get done so they aren't feeling as overwhelmed. It is so unbelievably easy to get overwhelmed as a parent when you are donating all your time to playing with your child. Though it feels right because we want to just sit and help them and keep them happy and keep them playing, what we need to start doing is separating ourselves and teaching them how to play independently so that we can go off independently and do the jobs that we need to do and then come back together for some connection time when we're both done with our work. Mm-hmm. As you're speaking, it's reminding me of what is called intensive mothering. Oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking Do about. Do you? Yeah. I almost said it like it, as I was talking, I was like, should I bring up intensive mothering or is yes. that just like... No, we talk about that all the time here. I think about it all the time. Okay, you go, you explain what it is. Yeah, like if you're unfamiliar or if you're hearing this for the first time, like... Intensive mothering is the set of beliefs that currently exist in our society that are sort of invisible, but yet very tangible and policed. And they are social norms in a way that are reinforced by messages and things people say, marketing, and really they come down to a few key principles that like we need to be the main primary caregiver for our child, that we need to give all of our time, energy, attention, resources to our child that like essentially we parent and mother at a cost of ourselves, the more we can give to our child, the better. So there's this real like martyrdom piece to it and a few key others. But as you're talking about this and as you're talking about the pressure we feel to take every, you know, RSVP to every play invite, all I can think of is the pressure or the script of intensive mothering saying, if I don't, I'm a bad mom because I'm not giving of myself in every way that I feel like I'm supposed to be giving of myself. No, that's exactly what it is. This idea in some of the studies that I read when I was getting my master's, we, it talked exactly about that and all framed around play Hmm. that parents have ended up donating all of this time that they have for all these other tasks, chores, work, everything, their own self-care to being the child's play partner and the child's play facilitator. And then what that does is it creates the burnout 
And it creates a child who then struggles to play by themselves. And so then it becomes kind of this vicious cycle. My child doesn't play well alone, so I'm going to accept this invitation to play with them. Then I don't have time to do this. And now, you know, they can't play without me, so I'll never get that done. And then it just kind of keeps repeating itself over and over again, where what we really need to do is we have to break that cycle and we have to help the child learn to play independently. That becomes what it is. We have to be willing to say, you know, what I know is best for child development is that this child plays independently because that's where they're going to learn the absolute most So it's going to be worth it for me to walk this road of teaching them these skills. Hmm. Nothing would give me greater pleasure than helping people get to that point where they can have their child playing independently. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. 
Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. I didn't expect intensive mothering to come up in this conversation, but I'm seeing it in everything that I'm doing right now, like in how we scale back our work and we don't pursue our careers because we want to be more involved with our children, or we take on more care work and work within the home and just, you know, that burnout that you were talking about. And now in regards to play, like we play and do all of these things at a cost of our own breaks, at a cost of things piling up in the background. And it really does contribute to that invisible load that we carry, which we talk a lot about here. So how do we start this process of like maybe slowly backing out of the play? If this is something that we're very used to taking each invitation, right? Like how do we slowly start to work our way out of that and introduce some more independent play? Definitely. The first thing I want to say is if this is something that speaks to you, if you realize that you've been saying yes to every play invitation and your child isn't playing well, please don't feel guilty about that. Mm -hmm. This is a very normal and typical, and you know, this is something we see spread across millions of mothers and, and fathers right now. So please don't feel like this is something you did or only you, this was a message and kind of a cultural shift that's happened and it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's not something to feel guilty about. You didn't know. Now we know. And now we move forward and we try to relearn those play skills. So the first thing I'm going to say is that this is a process. Play is a skill. It's just like running a marathon. I'm not going to hop out tomorrow and run a marathon. I have not been training. It's not going to happen for me. And we need to look at play the same way. We can't say, okay, today they couldn't play by themselves. I heard this podcast. They're supposed to be playing alone. So I'm going to expect them to play alone all morning tomorrow. Right. Okay, that's not going to happen. It's going to set them up for failure and you up for failure. And we don't want that. We want this to be a very successful walk into independent play. So the first thing I'm going to ask is that you look at your schedule and you find some times throughout the day where you can schedule in play. And I know that seems so counter intuitive to say, here's this very free and open thing. And I'm going to have you schedule it into your life, (laughs) (laughs) but it really helps if play becomes routine for children and it becomes an expectation and they know what's expected of them. It makes it much less scary to go play when you know what's coming before and what's coming after it. They need that sense of security in their schedule and their routine. So one great place to put play is after breakfast. They've gotten fed, they've chatted with you, and now it's time for them to go off and play while you maybe get the kitchen reset and get the day started for both of you. So that's a great spot. So let's look at that spot right now. So tomorrow morning, they wake up and you're going to say, here's the schedule this morning. We're going to have breakfast. And then you're going to go play while I do. And you pick one job, unload the dishwasher. That gives them an understanding of the time that they're going to be expected to go play. They know how roughly how long it takes her to unload the dishwasher. It takes him to unload the dishwasher. Okay, I can go play for that amount of time. And then as soon as you're done doing that, you're going to go check on them. And what you've done is you've given them just a very small amount of time to be successful at playing. Just a very small amount of time. You're going to start with about five minutes. You can give them that, what I just said, kind of a explanation of how long to play. You're going to go play while I unload the dishwasher, or you can set a visual timer, show them, Hey, 
I'm going to turn this knob here. I'm going to show you how long I want you to play for. You're going to play for this amount of time. And then I'm going to come back and check on you. And again, what we're trying to do is make play less scary. Oftentimes when we tell kids, oh, just go play. They don't understand how long I'm going to be separated from you and how long are you going to be doing this and how long is it? And it just becomes so overwhelming mm-hmm. that they just want to come back and be with us. But if they can feel really secure in how long you're going to be apart from each other doing these two different jobs, that's so much better for them. Another thing that we can do to help in this process is to really give kids some space. And that doesn't mean we're giving them unsupervised space if they're not ready or old enough for that yet. It just means that we're not hovering over them, sitting there watching, looking at them from a foot away as they play. Nobody wants to type an email like that. (laughs) Kids don't want to build blocks like that. (laughs) So give them some space so that you're not hovering over them. Another big key in building independent play is avoiding interrupting them. Hmm. We see our kids playing sometimes and we get so excited they're playing that we want to go over and be like, good job, you're doing it, you're playing. Or we want to ask them questions. Oh, what are you doing with your Paw Patrol right now? Or how are your dolls? Are they talking to each other? That's the same as interrupting an adult mid-conversation. And we get so frustrated when mid-train of thought or mid-conversation, someone comes barging in with completely different information and we lose our train of thought. That's exactly what happens to kids when they're playing. So if you happen to stumble upon the holy grail of your child playing independently and they're completely engaged, avoid eye contact, quietly back away, and let them keep working as long as they need to, and then talk to them later about what it is that you saw them doing. Chat with them at the end. But while they're playing, don't interrupt them because what's likely to happen is that you go in, you interrupt them, and then they realize you exist again, and maybe they're hungry and they kind of want a snack, and play ends and they get up and walk away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last big thing that we can do is build a culture within our house that we value play, that we understand that this is the most important way that a child learns, and we value it the same way that we value their schoolwork, their homework, their sports, their clubs, their classes, that we value play to help them. And that might mean having conversations with them or saying little things like play is your job. These are my jobs. I do this and you list out all the things you do. Your one job is play. How cool is that? And talk to them about in play is when you learn. Play is your job. Play is when you grow your brain. Play is when your body grows. But really it's about shifting away from seeing and valuing kind of these very adult structured activities like a sports or a club or a class over free play, which is often what we see in our culture is we say, well, they have to do that because, you know, that's going to help them with X, Y, Z. That's why I have them enrolled in all these different events. It might, but really the best thing they can do is to just play on their own. So if we can stop valuing one over the other and stop taking away a lot of their time for play gets eaten up by these extra activities, we can reallocate and reshift away some of that time, it really is going to pay dividends in the end. So start a routine tomorrow, find a couple of spots during the day where you can build and play and where they can start playing on their own. You're going to start small five minutes at a time, and you're going to build up from there. You're going to give them space. We're going to stop interrupting them. And then you're just going to start building this family value that play is how children learn and develop the best. We are a family that values play. Mm-hmm. Those are my hopes. Mm-hmm. As you're speaking, it's making me think about my three different boys across three different developmental levels, mm-hmm. right? So I've got a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And currently how each of them play is like wildly different. Yeah. So my three-year-old, he is like building out Adventure Bay and there's all the Paw Patrol and 
He makes all the noises and all the things. Very animated. And then my middle one, he is the neurodivergent one. He's more like a tinkerer. Like he's got his mm-hmm. Rubik's Cube. He's got, you know, like he likes to cut and draw and do some things. And then I've got my seven-year-old who is into Pokemon and wants to play Minecraft all the time and wants to watch all the Minecraft YouTubers. And so when we're talking play maybe across a few different ages, like would playing Minecraft fall within this realm of play? It hardly feels like it would, but maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think anytime we get into screen time, that becomes a whole broader issue. But yes, I I value my kids' video game time as much as I value because there are significant skills that they're learning when they're playing a video game. We often stigmatize and, you know, vilify video games, but there are amazing and beautiful skills that they're learning in a Minecraft situation. So that is a screen time choice that my kids have during their screen times. During the day, we have two different screen time blocks. And during their afternoon screen time, they're absolutely welcome to play video games because it's such a great form of learning for them. And they're doing such great work when they're playing their video game. Okay. Even actually more work than if they were just sitting watching like a YouTube video and being really passive. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other, do we need to do a third episode? I mean, we'll just I feel like I, we'll do a screen. We'll just keep rolling this out. Okay. <laughs> But really what we want to do, especially, you know, if we brought up screen time is screen time often becomes kind of this crutch in parenting where they're not playing well. So we turn on a screen and then they kind of start to lose their ability to play and then they're not playing well. So we turn on a screen and you see it just kind of becomes a cycle that repeats itself. Right. So if we can instead make screen time kind of into a very routine setting where you have maybe one or two opportunities for screen time throughout the day. And that's it because we don't want screens replacing something else. Mm -hmm. We don't want it replacing their play. As far as across different ages and ability levels, play is going to look different. And really what you just need to look at for your child is, did they pick something on their own? Are they enjoying it? Are they self-entertaining? And that's it. And that's going to look wildly different for every child. That might look like one child picking up a pair of scissors and cutting blades of grass. Okay, that's your play. Great. Mm -hmm. For another, it might be a more traditional, they're putting on costumes and running around. And for another child, it might be building blocks. It isn't ours to judge what is their play. It's just ours to let them have that opportunity. And to always remember that this is a group of people that is wildly entertained by a cardboard box. Mm -hmm. So what looks interesting, inviting to us may not be the same as for them because they are built for this. You know, like you said in the beginning where you're like, I don't have the capacity for this. I'm not good at it. You're not supposed to be. We're adults. We're not supposed to see the joy in a cardboard box. They are. Mm, So mm -hmm. just taking a step back and saying, I don't need to control what they play. I just need to control that they have the opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I try to do with my kids. I'm never stepping in and telling them what to play or how to play or really anything around that. What I am doing is saying, this is your time to play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is what we're doing right now. It's playtime. And then I take a step back from there and it's on their own that they need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're going to wrap up here, but there's one piece that I want us to touch on before we close is the idea of open-ended toys. This is something Mm -hmm. I'd never heard about until I had encountered your page because I think that a lot of the gifts that we get given are like, you know, the talking, light up, learning, quote unquote, like, you know, (laughs) teaching toys and things like that. But you talk a lot about open-ended toys and the possibilities that that can create. So maybe we can unpack that quickly for those who are unfamiliar. Yeah, absolutely. So 
what we need to look at is that if play is the work of childhood, then toys are the tools for that play. Hmm. And we want to make sure our kids have the best tools. And the best tools does not mean the most expensive tool. It does not mean the flashiest tool. It does not mean that they need many tools. That's going to be personal to each family. What it does mean is that they have the best tools for their play. And the best tools for play are going to be the tools, the toys that are open-ended. And that means that the child is the one in the driver's seat. The child is making it work. The child is able to change it from one type of toy to another. So if we think about a wooden block, that block can be a building material. It could be a cell phone. It could be gold bricks. There's a variety of different things that a child can decide to do. It's not predetermined what this thing is going to be. Mm -hmm. And when kids have an opportunity to have more toys like that, as opposed to very static, closed, does one thing, you push a button and it talks back to you type toys, those kind of toys are going to close off their play because it's not going to spark their imagination. It's not going to let them imagine or create in the same way that an open-ended toy lets them do as they want to do instead Mm -hmm. of telling them what they should be doing. The toys that light up and flash, they do a great job playing. Problem is we want the child to be playing. So Mm -hmm. those toys end up waning. And there's a reason why those toys end up only lasting for a few months. And then the child maybe grows developmentally out of that toy or just loses interest in the toy. So when we're thinking about getting the most play value for our money, you know, toys are very expensive. We want to look for these open-ended toys because they'll span years of development. A, A bag of wooden blocks is great for a child from 12 months old to 12 years old. And that's not a joke. You can't say the same thing for the little light-up toy that they had at their two-year-old birthday. That toy is not going to last to fifth grade. Mm -hmm. It's just not. And so I think what we do a lot of times with toys is we see toys as something fun and just stuff for kids to have. They're a way for us to show our love and we just gift it to them. But if we can shift and think of ourselves as the gatekeepers of toys and that toys are this really important tool in a child's play and their Mm -hmm. overall development as a human, then we can stop seeing it so much as something and stuff and instead very important learning tools. Mm -hmm. We have to get out of this mentality of buying toys for kids just for the sake of buying toys for them and buying anything that looks good. Be thoughtful about what you bring into your house. Be thoughtful about the toys you have in there right now. If it's overwhelming for a child, when they do go to try to play, they get overwhelmed by all of their options. And then that makes it really hard to find their play. And then quickly they give up on that and they go to find us. And now they're saying they don't know how to play and they're bored and things like that. When really they just couldn't figure out what to play. So Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. take down a few toys that aren't working great for them or move toys to the front, rotate out toys, whatever it is, your system in the house, but make it so that toys are something that's accessible to kids, that's helping them and that we're viewing toys less as just a thing kids have because they're fun and more as a very important tool for that child's learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I learned this as a parent and through the various things that you shared, and I know you got tons of lists of these open-ended toys and things which we'll share, I was able to like take some of the batteries out of toys and lower the stimulation within my yeah. home. And I was like a happier parent as a result of that as well, right? Like it's much more um, like joyful sound to hear my little three-year-old like rooming his cars around and being adventure bay, whatever, Mm -hmm. rescue missions and things. 
than it is to just hear this like constant yeah. like, overstimulation of all these battery powered toys and things, right? So I feel like it really kind of like leveled some things out for us too, which yeah. is enjoyable for everybody. Absolutely. And that goes back into what we were talking about earlier that, you know, there's a lot of this intense emotions and feeling around play. And if play is something that's so loud in your house because of batteries and the music and this and that, then that's going to create in you this feeling of, I want to stop this play and I want to put my hand back in this pot and move it to something that's a little quieter. But if we set ourselves up for success to maybe not have these super loud toys, then that is going to help us to just see all the learning that's happening in that play rather than being so overwhelmed by the noise of it that we just feel like, is play really what they should be doing right now? Isn't there something better for their time? And it's like, really, we're just so overwhelmed by the sounds. If we can just Mm -hmm. take some of that down a notch, then that all is going to go back into that culture of play as this really valued part of the family. Mm Mm-hmm. I know you've got resources on this from like baby toys all the way up through school age toys. Where can people find your resources on what are some of the best toys and tools for play? Absolutely. So we'll put it in the show notes, but I have these lists of best toys for kids and they're incredibly curated. They're all toys that I have experience with that I have vetted and watched grow with my kids throughout their childhoods or through other neighbor kids that, you know, hang out at my house all the time. And so everything is tried and true and really going to help support play. And then I also have um, a post that I actually just rolled out about steps to help your child play independently. So if you want to learn more about how to help them and you're more of a visual learner and you want to read it as opposed to hear it, that would be a great resource for you to just be able to read and kind of get a step-by-step blueprint. There's even more tips in that post on how to help kids play. Mm -hmm. And we'll link it all in the show notes. And you are hanging out on Instagram at busy toddler and people can find all your links and take you in there. But thank you for this. And I have to say like of all of the play pages that I've followed or like people that I've engaged with, you're so like down to earth and relatable (laughs) for people in the sense that it's like, I see a lot of like curated open-ended play or these invitations to play that are laid out that are like almost again, like aspirational, you're like striving to be this thing, but it's like not a real snippet of life. Like, you know? Yeah. And so you show like how this rolls out with your kids in a very like relatable, real way that I think is approachable and doesn't come with shame and guilt because people don't feel like they're not doing it right. So thank you for just the way that you put things out there for parents and the way that you encourage them. And I really appreciated you taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's all our pleasure, my whole family. It's our pleasure to be able to do this and to be here and, and to support as many people as we can. Thank you. Isn't Susie the best? One of the things that has drawn me to her page time and time again is her very non-judgmental approach to activities, creativity, and play. It is so easy on social media to get sucked into very curated pages that really promote a very curated version of life that is perfectionistic, unattainable, and leaves us feeling like we're failing a lot of the time. Where Susie is really real and approachable and the barriers to doing the activities that she has is so low because she'll pull things together from her pantry or her cupboard. No fancy special toys or tools required. We joke about it in the beginning of this episode, but one of the things that moms often find really difficult when starting to explore independent play or sensory play 
is the mess and the clutter and the overstimulation. And I feel you, I'm right there with you and it can take a lot of regulating ourselves, allowing for some mess and learning how to tolerate it. And there's so much that goes into sensory overwhelm and overstimulation. If this is something that resonates with you and that you've really struggled with, I encourage you to check out my workshop with Psyched Mommy, Dr. Asherina Reem, where we walk through overstimulation in motherhood, what causes it, why it happens, and most importantly, we leave you with a practical plan on what you can do in these really overwhelming and overstimulating moments. To learn more, head to happyasamother.co slash overstimulation. That's happyasamother.co slash overstimulation. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place, where we are being joined by parenting coach Tia Slidem. If you are on the parenting side of TikTok, you have probably come across Tia's very popular parenting TikTok page. She is joining us to talk all things boundary setting and ways to set and hold boundaries without yelling and losing our cool. You do not want to miss this episode. I'll see you back here next week for my conversation with Tia. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job. Settling is not an option. For Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.